major achievements in the golf world, but more importantly, currently encouraging and building up churches and kingdom workers. And so would you welcome with me this morning, David Vaughn. Welcome back to the stage. <laughs> to the stage. What? what? Welcome back the sage to the stage. That's all I'm saying. Oh man, it is good to see you. Good to, I asked for a little more light so I could see those familiar faces. Some of y'all sitting in the same seats you did for, <laughs> you know, you can move to a new seat. It is good to be back at my favorite church. I travel all over, church after church after church. Really appreciated Whitewater the more I got to travel around. But I travel all over. There's no place like here. There's no place like here. I'm just telling you. Donna and I are enjoying our new low country living, South Carolina weather, grits and gravy and biscuits. God help me. Nice temperatures in the winter. We're enjoying it. Uh, I don't miss the Reds losing, but I hear they're, all, you know, they're coming back. I hear it's going better now. Several asked, because they thought I was serious about buying a Reds sports car when I retired. And I have not bought the Reds sports car, just so you know. But I am playing a little bit more golf, and I am focused a little bit more on really just sharing what it's like when the church works right. So Don and I are still ambassadors for you, my ever-growing, emerging Devon Consulting Ministry has been as busy as ever, encouraging pastors and pastors' wives. I'm speaking. Not long ago, I was traveling quite a lot, and Donna said, are you retired? Uh, you know, so we have to kind of make sure I'm not overdoing that. But I just got to tell you, the need is so great. Boy, there's a lot of hurting churches, a lot of hurting pastors right now. I was just in North Carolina last week meeting with some guys who are discouraged, they're struggling. <laughs> One guy came up, he said, I've decided that my church member's only goal is to extort from me my joy. <laughs> That's a tough run. That's a tough church. And I know that you have had also a tough run lately. You've had some tough times around here. Some of y'all remember my phrase, there's nothing like the church when the church is working right. Everybody remembers that, but you may have forgotten. There's a part B to that. There's nothing worse than when the church is not working right. And based on what I know, you have experienced both of those uh, this last season. And there's nothing worse when it's not working right. And so I just want to tell you from my heart, I'm so proud of you for being here today. I'm so proud of you for hanging in here in this church. So just let me say before I get into the message, I love John and Kelly. I'm, I'm so sad that things didn't work out for them the way we planned. That's not the way the story was supposed to go. But let me tell you something else. I also know and love and trust the staff and the elders in this church. You have some of the finest elders you'll ever meet on the planet. I'm telling you, I know them, and I've worked with elders that are not. So I just want to tell you that. I, I'll, I know they also love the entire Tizovich family as well. But listen to me, this church, the church and this church is bigger than any one human person. It's never been about the preacher. It's always been about Jesus. This church is bigger than any one problem. This is Jesus' church. Last time I checked, he's still in control. Whitewater has come back from a lot worse than this. I can tell you right now. I lived it. Some of you here 
Remember the ups and the downs. Some of you new people, it's always been up and to the right. Uh-uh. Wasn't always true. And here's what I've learned. Small setbacks make for great comebacks. And God's not done writing your story. God's not done writing JT's story. He's come back from a lot worse, too. So the best days of this church are still ahead. I just want to tell you. you got a guy and a gal from South Carolina that are still cheering you on. I love, I love your new missional discipleship vision and strategy. Stay focused on that because the story's not over. You will be learning some things in this season of life, I have, that I never would have learned if I hadn't been through that valley. And so the God on the mountain is the God in the valley, and he's going to be with you. And I believe in you. Sometimes you just need somebody to tell you you're not crazy, right? You're not crazy. So I've been in touch with numerous, and I say numerous, potential pastors in the last few months. And I got to tell you right now, Whitewater is still a very attractive church to pastor. It has all kinds of strengths, wonderful qualities. So hang in there, gang. Hang in there. Encourage your staff and your elders. They are winners. They are worthy of your support, especially financially. During times like this, giving can be down. Morale can be down. But friend, the best is yet to come. So I just wanted to tell you that before I jump in. I did enjoy golfing yesterday, too, in the Hope Open. That's my love language, golf. And I got to stand out there in beautiful weather, beautiful golf. Um, few people cussed when they went through who didn't know I was who I was. And then after I told them, they cussed a little more. Anyway, <laughs> it is Father's Day today, so uh, shout out to, to all the dads who are in the audience. I am a ve I'm very proud, very proud to be the father of Amanda and Tyler still, uh, Donna and I. I am Poppy. She is Donna to three grandchildren, and it's just awesome. Little June Bug, our youngest, one year, and I, I can tell it's going to be an adventure with her. And I, I, all of you who are dads and granddads, this is a great season of your life. Uh, a comedian, Steve Martin, said you can tell who the dads are in the room. They're the ones who carry pictures in their wallet where their money used to be. <laughs> There's some truth to that. But the series you're in right now is about the Beatitudes. It's called Let It Be. It's uh, much more than a, be a Beatles song. It's how we can be like Jesus every day and live out this blessed, fulfilling life. Last week, Jess covered the first one, Blessed Are the Poor in Spirit. Blessed are the scary good, he said. Actually, what was scary was that picture of Jess Atkins with the afro that he put up in his sermon. That was scary. But the teaching team has given me the second one from Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn. Thanks, Jess, for uh, that assignment. So I want to begin, because we're going to take a turn with this that maybe you haven't thought of. I've done a deep dive in this. You know, when you're kind of retired, refired, you got time to work on sermons. I didn't really have all that time work on sermons here. Man, I've had like a month to prepare. So buckle your seat. I got stuff to say. So let's begin by reading this beatitude out loud together. I think we'll put it on the screen. Matthew 5, 4. Here we go. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The longer I live, the more I believe the secret to true happiness in this life and the next is found in reading and Jesus' word, in following Jesus, in following what Jesus said. I have maintained for years, and I've said it here before, even if there is no heaven, even if there is no hell, 
Even if the words of the Bible are not true, and I absolutely believe in all of those things. You're going to hear that today. Even if none of that is true, I'm saying to you, following Jesus is the best way to go. It's the best way to be happy, fulfilled in life, even if there is no afterlife, and there is. I think this church has been founded on Jesus and following the Word. It's the way it's supposed to be. It is counterintuitive. The world and the culture will tell you one way to be, but Jesus in this list, especially in the Beatitudes, tells you another way, a countercultural way, a better way. So when we come to this second Beatitude, this is going to be in direct contrast to the world's view of happiness. Blessed are those that mourn, for they'll be comforted. If the world were to write this, they would say this, happy are those who laugh because they can smile their troubles away. And it is true that laughter is a positive force for good. Humor, humor is a very uh, good and wonderful gift to have. I, I have, it's therapeutic. In fact, if you're having problems in a church or in a marriage, humor can kind of dissolve some of the stress. Laughter is a positive force for good. In fact, Proverbs 17:22 says this, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Is that not true? A crushed spirit dries up the bones, but a cheerful heart is good medicine. I can tell how healthy a marriage is by the degree of laughter that occurs in that relationship. I can tell how healthy a team is by the amount of laughter and energy in the room. I can tell, tr trust me, I'm speaking at different churches. I can tell how healthy a church is by the joy and happiness and laughter level in the room. When things are not going good, people don't laugh very much. They do a lot of crying. They don't do a lot of laughing. Thank God for the gift of laughter. It eases tension. It lifts spirits. It softens heart. My pattern in my ministry, some of y'all know, and if you're new, uh, this will be news to you. My pattern was always to use humor. Sometimes I was criticized for it. Sometimes people enjoyed it. But, but I've just been reflecting on my life. I never took myself very seriously. I took God very seriously. But I never took myself. I was always able to laugh at myself. And I've made so many mistakes here in the 20 years I was past. We tried the most outrageous, crazy, goofy things. If I had another sermon, I'd tell you all this stuff. And some of them were epic fails. I can just tell you right now. What are you going to do? You're just going to laugh about it. So the world tries to laugh. Trust me. I mean, they try to bring some joy to their life. Just look at the proliferation of sitcoms and comedy clubs, websites with jokes. But I found much of the world's humor is crude. It simply reflects this inner sadness and emptiness they're trying to fill with a superficial kind of joy. I heard about a man who went to a therapist and because he was depressed, he was discouraged, and he, he sat in the counselor's chair and he said, hey, listen, he said, I, I don't know what to do, where to go. I'm depressed, I'm discouraged, I'm, I'm thinking about ending my life. This is not a good situation. And the therapist said, well, hey, who didn't really follow the words of the Beatitudes that we're going to talk about today, he said, hey, I got an idea for you. He said, I hear there's a new circus in town. He said, and this circus is making everybody laugh. There's a clown down there at that circus that's making, bringing joy to everybody. He's making everybody laugh. He said, sir, I am that clown. <laughs> so, so you might look really good on the outside, 
But I'm telling you, inside, there may be something going on with you. I bet for some of you here, you've got some stuff going on on the outside. Oh, you're kind of smiling and you're laughing and maybe you're enjoying life. But inside, there's a different story being told. And so today may help you with that. Blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. See, Jesus is teaching us here that Christian joy goes much deeper than shallow humor. So I want to ask some questions and answer them for you about this text. Number one, what does it mean to mourn? The word mourn here is the strongest word available in the Greek language. It, 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 it was really, he could have picked lots of words for this particular verse. He could have, but he picked a strong word. It's the word for passionate lament over someone who has died. So there is a sense in which this beatitude applies to the mourning over the loss of a loved one. I will give you that. In fact, when most preachers, once pastors teach on this, it's about in the idea of sympathy, of empathy, of funerals, of death and dying. When someone close to you dies, there is a grief process that is needed. It's natural. It's healthy. And as odd as it sounds, grieving at funerals is beneficial. It's healthy. That's why Solomon said these very wise words in Ecclesiastes 7 2. It's fascinating. Now, young people who like to go out and party all the time, and older people, I guess, they may see this as, again, counterculture. But listen to this. 7 verse 2. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration. <laughs> this is funny. This, this should apply to us right now in this church. Frustration is better than laughter. Because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, though. But the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. You always learn more at a funeral about your life for good than you do at a party. You know, I'm getting a little bit older now. I've noticed as you get older, you start talking about stuff you never talked about before. When you meet people your age, here's what you talk about. Health. What's hurting? How many doctors you have to see? I used to laugh at people like that. Not anymore. I've noticed that time flies as you get older. Your, your preferences change. I, I'm, I'm more IHOP than hip-hop right now. But here's another thing I've noticed about growing older. As you grow older, as you age, I've noticed I've got more friends and family up there than I got down here. So one of the reasons why you look forward to heaven is because you'll get to meet the people you're no longer hanging with down here because they're hanging up there waiting on you. And when someone passes that you love, you mourn, not as someone without hope, but you still grieve. I've done hundreds of funerals here in this area, and I could always tell who was mourning really and who was genuinely and helpfully and who was not. I could always tell who had a belief in Jesus. When you get to that place in your life, you better have a relationship with Jesus. Some of the most hopeless people are people I visited in the hospital that didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Well, they might have a religion, but they didn't have a relationship. And when you read the Bible, you see that God often appointed these periods of mourning for people that passed because a funeral is better than a feast. It was Solomon who wrote also in Ecclesiastes, there's a time to mourn, 
and there's a time to dance. Mourning, though, draws others to our side to pray for us. Some of the best memories of this church are when you surrounded people from your small group or you went to call on someone who's in hospice care. You just became the church. It's so much more fun to be the church than to attend to the church. Tears, though, during grieving, it washes the soul. It softens the heart for God's comfort or the Holy Spirit to come and heal and to help. So there is a sense in which this verse, blessed are those that mourn, applies to, the, applies to all of us, it applies to you and you watching online who have experienced the death of someone that you love. But I don't think this is the primary meaning of this beatitude. I think it has a totally other meaning. I think the primary reason that Jesus wrote this verse applies to something else. Are you ready to hear what it is? You're not going to like it. That's never held me back before. Sin. Stick with me. In this beatitude, Jesus is saying, here's the translation as I would put it. Blessed are those who grieve over their sin, for they will be forgiven and comforted by God. It builds, all of these Beatitudes, by the way, build on the other. It builds on the first one that just talked about last week. Blessed are the humble in spirit. And if you're humble enough, you will acknowledge how holy he is and how unholy you are, we are. What this verse is saying is, blessed are those who grieve or mourn over their own sinfulness, for they will be comforted. <laughs> oh, we don't like to talk about sin very much in churches anymore, do we? We don't like to talk about it in our culture, but trust me, God talks about it a lot. I've done another survey of this concept of sin, and he's much more concerned about it than we are. We seem to be more concerned in most churches today about offending people rather than Almighty God. Jesus is talking about mourning for our disobedience. Because Christians, honestly, I watch you, you watch me, we're, we can become, if we're not careful, very cavalier, very flippant, very tolerant of sin in our life and in our culture and in our country. But, friend, we are commanded to mourn over sin. It's counterintuitive, but the more you mourn over your sin, the happier you will be. It sounds weird. Now, those of us who grew up from a Catholic background, oh, we, don't, we, can, we are good with that guilt, man. We are good Catholic guilt. We can mourn a lot. Now, I'm not talking about just wallowing in your guilt. Listen, though, to what Paul said in Romans chapter 7. Now, tell me that God is not concerned about sin. Paul writes this, for I do not do the good I want to do. Has that ever happened to you? I want to do so much good. But the evil I don't want to do, the thing I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. Anybody else struggle with that besides me? I don't want to eat those biscuits all the time. But I do it. I don't want to go to that food buffet all the time. The good I want to do, I want to, I, I want to eat chicken and salad and tuna and vegetables. But the good I want to do, I don't do. I find myself in line at the endless shrimp at Red Lobster. <laughs> this I keep on doing, he said. 
For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I want to obey God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war. That, and we're in a battleground, friend. Church and ministry following Jesus starts out as fun, then it becomes work, and then it becomes war. I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. There's a law of sin. What a wretched man I am. Who, this is the greatest apostle ever lived, by the way. Paul. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of sin or that is subject to death? But thanks be to God. Here's the comfort now. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. All of us are slaves to somebody. And we are simultaneously slaves to sin and slaves to God because we live in this body. One other verse, listen to this. I'm going to use the same word that Jesus used here in the Beatitudes in Matthew. James uses it in a different context. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Don't let the devil get a foothold here in this church. I'm sure he's whispered some words of discouragement, distraction to you. Fight the devil with all you have. Resist him. He's really a coward. I mean, I work with him for 20 years here. No, no, not staff people, okay? But I work with him. I'm familiar with his work. Come near to God. He will come near to you. Now, listen how countercultural this is. Wash your hands, you sinners. It's not talking about COVID season either. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Here's the same root word Jesus used in Matthew. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Why? Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Friend, when is the last time that you really mourned or grieved over your own sin? See, God can only redeem what you will release. He will only heal what you have handed over. Blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. So just you and me talking. Do you have like a growing awareness of your own sinfulness? When you don't, you'll get egotistical. When you don't right-size yourself, you become judgmental of others. And you're, aren't we so quick to point out the sin of others and not have us point at our own sin? Blessed are those that mourn. That leads me to another question then. Why should we mourn? I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why we ought to mourn. And it should be a part of the re- mourning your sin. It should be a regular part of your life. First reason we should mourn is because we know the horrible consequences of sin on earth. The horrible consequences of sin on earth. I have been a pastor. I started preaching in high school in my home church. I've been a pastor a long time. Been here at this church 20 years. And one of the re- things, one of the things, the observations I made all along the way is people underestimate the consequences of sin here on earth. Sin wrecks 
people's lives. We are our own worst enemies when it comes to wrecking our life. The consequences of sin are serious. If you see what sin does in the lives of people, you'll know it's no laughing matter. J. Wallace Hamilton asked this, is the drunk staggering down the street a comedy or a tragedy? He wrote, it depends. If he's my son, it's not funny. Love makes a big difference in how you view sin. We should be shocked by it, horrified by it. But I used to laugh about some sin. Now I don't think it's so funny because I see it wreck people's lives. I used to tell a joke about two drunks walking down the railroad tracks who were so inebriated they thought they were walking down a flight of steps. One drunk turned to the other and said, man, these steps are awful close together. And the other guy said, stairs, nothing. These low handrails are killing my back. <laughs> I always got to laugh, well, mostly. But I stopped telling that joke when I would travel and preach because if your mom or dad was an alcoholic, it's not as funny. If you're in recovery and celebrate recovery or you're addicted to alcohol yourself, not as funny as it used to be. Or maybe your family or friend was killed in an accident with a drunk driver. See, sin is sad because it kills. It hurts people's lives. Satan's goal is to destroy you. Steal, kill, destroy. Satan's goal for this church is to steal, kill, destroy. Don't let him get the upper hand. The old-time preachers used to say, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. I've found that to be true in my life and in so many lives of people that I love. I used to preach this message early in my ministry. I preached it so many times that when Donna would travel with me, I think she could have preached it if she, you know, if she wanted to. It was on the life of a guy named Samson, and I entitled it The High Cost of Low Living. It was, a, it was a whole saga from Judges about Samson the strong man and what happened with him after he got entangled with a, a pattern of sin, evidenced especially through a woman named Delilah. Samson was a he-man with a she-weakness. That's how I describe it. And Samson finally told her the source of his strength got him in all kind of trouble. And the first thing that they did after they subdued Samson, the Philistines poked out his eyes blinded him. Sin does the same thing with people today. Sin cuts the optic nerve of the soul. What once looked right is now wrong. What once was so wrong is now right. Sin blinds. I, I bet you said it or had a friend say it. I can't see what's wrong with this or that. I can't see what, they just said it. They diagnosed the problem beautifully. I can't see. Sin blinds. That was my first point of that, sir. Then what they did with Samson, they tied him up with ropes and, and bound him and put him grinding out meal and wheat in a Philistine uh, prison. Sin, and this is my progression, sin blinds and then it binds and then it grinds. Some of you are back in this church and back with Jesus because you got tired of paying for your sin and you needed forgiveness. You're tired of being blinded. You see the light. You're tired of being bound. You want freedom. 
You're tired of being ground. You want to travel a new path. We need to mourn because of the earthly consequences of our sin and our pain here on earth. But there's a second reason why I think driver for why we need to mourn, and that has to do with eternal consequences. Now again, I'm old school. This is going to sound old school. But I found there's some old school truths that we have forgotten in the new school. And it's what got us to where we are as a church and as a nation, and those are now obliterated. And it is the eternal consequence of sin about why we should mourn. Sin results not only in punishment on earth, because you cannot not sin and God not punish. It has to do with eternal punishment. So if, I'm, if sin is not a popular subject, you want to clear out a church fast, just bring up what I'm going to say now. Hell. That's not a very popular subject in our society or even in churches today. When's the last time you went to church or talked, or talked to somebody or watched the service online they talked about hell? We'd rather talk about heaven. <laughs> they used to say in the country, everybody falls in love with the front end of a puppy. <laughs> There's a reason why. There's a back end. And as I have said from my heart, how many times when I was your pastor, there's a real heaven, there's a real hell, and real people are going there. For some of you new who don't know me, it's my heart. The stakes are sky high. Reaching those lost people has to be what drives this church. I mean, consider how precious this soul must be if both God and the devil are after it. I know some people have left this church. Could I just have a word with you who are here? I encourage you to stop worrying about people leaving this church to go to other churches. Start worrying about people who go to no church and are going to hell. You'll fill the seats. What got us to where we are are focusing on lost people. Not just to say, oh, yes, we have to disciples and we want to make disciple makers. But reason, we were passionate because we believe there's a real heaven and a real hell. And some of our own family and friends were going there. The Son of God used the most horrendous words to describe what hell will be like. Darkness, dungeon, fire, separation from God, pain. But David, David, God is such a God of love. Aren't all people going to the same place eventually? I've heard it multiple times. Don't all roads lead to the same destination and direction? Not according to Jesus. Not according to the Christ, the one who died for our sin, the one who knows more about everything and everything that we're doing, not according to him. He is a God of love, but he is a God of justice. It is a, could I just remind you, as a sage from the stage, an old dude who's in his maybe last quarter of life, it is a horrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I'm not trying to scare you. When you have a relationship with him, you're good. You don't have to fear him as a judge anymore. He is your friend. He's your advocate. He's your savior. That's why when you mourn, you will be comforted. But I propose to you that in our culture today and in most churches today, we do not fear sin anymore. We do not fear God anymore. We do not fear eternity anymore. We don't fear the judgment of God. We don't even believe it's happening. 
And look at the consequences in our culture. Our entire society is in free fall. Well, how exactly are those that mourn blessed? Because that was a sensitive subject, I know, because it gets real quiet when you talk about sin and hell. I know, I've been doing it for a while. How are we blessed by mourning? The major blessing is that when we humbly mourn our own sin, we have the promise of forgiveness to celebrate. That's why we can laugh and smile with joy in our life, even when we sin because we know we're forgiven. Now, you've got to work through, well, if I sin, God is, has to forgive me. You've got to work through some theological thing. I wouldn't take advantage. I wouldn't abuse the grace of God. That's not an amazing grace. That's abusing grace. But whenever I sin, which is regularly, whenever you sin, which is regularly, you can have confidence that the blood of Christ covers your sin. That brings you some joy. We win. We will win because he won. When you realize the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin, it gives us a new beginning, it feels so good to be good and free and forgiven, not because of what we've done, but because of what he did. I mean, who wouldn't want to be forgiven from your past, forgiven in your present, and forgiven in your future? It's freeing. When you mourn for your sin, it is comforting to know. A good example of this mourning process that we're discussing today is with another guy who had my name, King David. He wrote this in Psalm 51. And I'm telling you, the more I read the Psalms, the more grateful I am for David. Notice what happened after he was confronted about his sin by a guy named Nathan. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Notice he's very specific in what he's asking God to do. For I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me, he says. Is your sin always before you? Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me, that's a great prayer, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. There's a word you don't hear a lot anymore. Transgressors, transgressions. So that sinners, that's people like you and me, sinners will turn back to you. My sacrifice, O God, he says, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. One of my mentors used to say that God loves the broken heart, the bent knee, and the wet eye. Because it's a sign of mourning, contrition. I want to come back, and the joy will be restored to you. These verses, by the way, with King David, who did some pretty horrific things, 
had an affair but then killed a man because of that affair. These verses show that while you may have made a mistake, you're not a mistake. And by the way, the churches, we make mistakes, but we're not mistakes. Every sin, here's the good news. Let me start with the bad news. Every sin you've committed, God knows about. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Every sin you've ever committed can be forgiven because God's grace still is greater than our disgrace. Some of you are mourning today. You're mourning uh, transition of leadership. You're mourning the death of someone that you loved. Some of you may be mourning the death of a dream you thought God was going to work. I'm mourning those kind of things myself. But we also need to be mourning over our sin so that we can be forgiven and have a fresh start with God. And I hesitated to insert this before I close, but while I'm here and while I'm just here this weekend, I'm not coming back maybe for a while. <laughs> I don't know. I may not be invited anymore after this. But I thought while I was here, I might as well say it since I'm in the deep end. Could I just say that this verse in mourning applies not just personally, but nationally too? Maybe it's just me, but every time I turn on the news and I look at my news feed, I grieve over this messed up country that we live in. I grieve for my country, my community, my culture. And to be healthy and better, Americans, friend, I'm going to sound like Billy Graham, you've got to return to God. You've got to grieve sin and corruption. This is not some kind of Christian nationalism statement. It's for sure not an endorsement of any political party. They're all sinners. They're all messed up. See, God isn't concerned about who's in the White House. He's concerned about if he's in your house, if he's in this house. God Almighty is not focused on the debt ceiling. He is highly concerned about your sin debt ceiling. Friend, everything is better with Jesus. When I go around and speak to companies and CEOs would ask me to do things or I would go to places. I always say the same thing. When I go to schools, I say the same thing. Everything's better with Jesus. I don't know there's lines and healthy boundaries. Everything's better with Jesus. A company's better with Jesus. Their employees are better workers. A school is better with Jesus in it. A church, there's a thought in it. A church is better with Jesus in it. A country is better with Jesus in it. And unless we fulfill... you. Right now, this church's mandate of making disciples who make disciples, who can change the world as salt and light, this country that we love, this country that some of us fought and died for, will continue to degenerate and disintegrate right before our eyes. It's madness what's happening. And I attribute it not to people. They're not the enemy. They're victims of the enemy. The real culprit is sin and the devil. And it's been a progression even in my lifetime as ministry. Sin that was once condemned was then tolerated. Now it's celebrated, and if you dare not celebrate or endorse it, you are now punished. David, that sounds so judgy. Quit judging people. Friend, I'm not judging. I'm just making an observation consistent with what Jesus said. You're going to have to take it up with him. 
I'm just a sanctified donkey that speaks his word. I will always speak his word. This church is known for speaking the word of God. And friend, I fear it because in our culture right now, truth sounds like hate for those that hate the truth. But if anybody comes to the cross humbly, mourning, repenting of their sin, confessing him, being baptized, you get cleansing, you get forgiveness, things get better with Jesus. Some of y'all have tried it without Jesus. How's that working for you? We get the promise of heaven, the promise of the Holy Spirit. It is Father's Day. Oh, I remember that prodigal son. It's a great story. It's a part of the DNA of this church. Over the last few years, I know. Remember that prodigal son? He rebelled against his father, moved away to the far country. But after the money was gone and the parties were over, he found himself in the mud and the filth of a pig pen, which to a Jew would have been even more horrible. <laughs> I love, I, I've studied how God works. He promotes from the pit, not the pedestal. The best lessons are in the pit. Sometimes even when churches are at their top, they're at the most vulnerable because they forget what got them where they are. The prodigal son makes the worst decision in the best place, but ultimately the best decision in the worst place. And what did he do? He had to repent. He went back to the father who was watching on the horizon. He welcomed him with open arms. Friend, that's the heart of the father. There's some things this church probably ought to grieve in this season. Don't walk fastly through that, quickly through that. There's some lessons that you will learn. As God sends momentum and revival again the way you remember it to be. I'll close with this. The old school churches provided back in the day, and I still see it when I preach at some country churches, they called it the mourner's bench. You ever grow up in a church that had a mourner's bench? The mourner's bench, there's an example, also known as the mercy seat or anxious bench, was invented and introduced by John Wesley in Methodist and other churches. Notice what's on the top of the mourner's bench. The way of the what? Transgressor is hard. That is so true. I mean, it's hard to be a Christian too, but at least pay the price for a better heart, all right? But in the mourner's bench churches, it was a simple bench prominently located in the front, sometimes the back. The original ones were very rough. They didn't have padded cushions to resemble the old rugged cross. The practice was instituted by Wesley, but then took a, a hold in all other churches. Individuals would come, they'd sit, they'd kneel at the mourner's bench to repent of sin and experience salvation. For those who were already saved, the, mur the mourner's bench was also a tool that sent revival in a person's life and in the church. They would go to that mourner's bench to receive sanctification, rededication, renewal. They would say in those churches at invitation time, if you are guilty of backsliding, there's a word you haven't heard in a long time. If you are guilty of backsliding, come up to the mourner's bench, confess your sins, receive forgiveness. Maybe it's time to reintroduce the mourner's bench again.
may be the only thing that saves a church, saves a person, saves a country, saves a city. So we're going to do one other song I know before we leave. Jesus, the son of suffering. I mean, if you think what the consequences of sin was for us, think about what the consequences of sin were for the almighty son of God who left heaven to come to earth so that we could leave earth and go to heaven. So as this next song, we enter into it, perhaps right there in your seat, it would become your own mourner's bench. You could pray. You should pray at or on your seat today for our country, for you, for the friend that's not here that should be, for the person on your row. Pray for our church. Pray for the wonderful elders that we have at this church who have had one hell of a year to bring heaven to the kingdom of God. I know the price those folks have paid. And for a church that I dearly love, friend, could I just say to you, never forget where you came from. As a church or personally, we were pretty low when God lifted us up, but we trusted him. You were pretty low in your life before God got a hold of you. Oh, I know he's not. You're not who you want to be, but thank God you're not who you used to be. It's all about Jesus and the mourning of sin. Blessed are the mourn, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful beatitude and even this topic and themes we have discussed today. We pray, God, that we would let it be so that we might be like Jesus. If we're going to be like something, help us to be like Jesus. God, I pray for this church that I love, that, God, you would help us to humbly say, God, it's your church, you're in control. We might make mistakes, but we're not mistakes. So we can be comforted. Help us to live out these principles, to live this blessed and joyful life and protect and provide for us, God. And now as we enter into a time of mourning, just for a moment during a song, may we renew our commitment to Jesus Christ, the Savior of our souls and the Son of suffering. And we pray that now in Christ's name. Amen.